part three of at least five parts on faith. The other two parts, Paul Richard is going to be coming and sharing next Friday, the following Friday, and then that following Saturday, he is going to uh, be, uh, we're working on the timing and all that stuff, you know, win in the day. But Paul has been uh, in ministry healing for a very, very long time. Uh, came through the Word of Faith uh, ministry up in uh, Minneapolis and and had kind of a crazy life before he got to know God. And then um, he just really got wrapped up in, in praying for the sick, uh, running healing rooms, seeing stuff like that. And then on the, over the last six or seven years, he and I have both been on kind of a journey together about uh, union and relationship with God. And Paul's been focusing a lot and having an amazing amount of positive impact and experience down there in uh, New Mexico and, and Southern Colorado, Indian reservations and stuff, praying for sick, but praying in a whole different way than the traditional kind of Pentecostal charismatic word of faith kind of way, uh, praying out of union, praying in the things we've been studying about, about being in, you know, one with Jesus and stuff. So I think the, the purpose, the overall purpose, aside from just studying this stuff and learning about it, was to set up our hearts to be in a position to hear this idea of union and the idea of God with us and in us in relationship to praying for the sick. And it's wonderful we have some testimonies. Uh, we're a relatively small group. We, you know, we pray for a decent number of people probably, uh, you know, for the size group we are. But there have been some amazing, amazing things. And those two stories that Vicky told you aren't the only ones that have flowed out of that you know, group of ladies that pray on, on or get together on Tuesday. They share stuff. One of the regulars that Vicky and I have known all ever since Bible school, uh, Brian Ann, uh, Littlefield, uh, they had a couple of, or a grandson or two grandsons, uh, so that's it. Yeah, very serious, uh, injuries completely turned around. Com- I mean, completely, you know, just completely over the course of, of praying for a few, few weeks and stuff. So, um, I think all of us know in our hearts, that Jesus is is here, He's with us, and that you know that that worship song, uh, when you walk in the room, everything changes. That resonates with us because we know that's really what happens with Jesus. That's really what happened. And you read in the Gospels when He went someplace, when He walked down the street, and somebody touched His garment, uh, when He was was uh, interrupted in His path by a funeral procession. He made a huge difference. When Peter's mother-in-law was sick, he made a huge difference. And so what we're looking at in faith uh, is we're looking at, in kind of my geeky way of doing it, we're just looking at some of the simple things that it says in the Bible, in particular in the Greek, in particular in simple, simple things like prepositions about belief and about faith. So we've looked at it. I'm going to review just a tiny bit, but I, I really put, put the constraints on because we have a very fun thing we've got to get to, and I don't want to be late getting there. So anyway, uh, yeah, John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Uh, how dare I put up a couple of question marks in John 3.16? Well, I'll explain that later. So anyway, quick review. Faith is the word pistis. Belief is the word pisteo. And, uh, and I think I'm pronouncing pisteo wrong. It's like pisteo or something like that. But anyway, 
Pistis basically means faith. It's a noun. Pisteu is a verb. It means belief or believing or believing. And they essentially are talking about the same things. They're talking about this idea of certainty, this idea of uh, assurance. You know, uh, faith is the uh, uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith does something to connect us with an unseen realm, something to connect us with God's realm. And so th- there's there's not a lot of special insight guidance. Sometimes there is. When you dig into Greek and Hebrew uh, word roots and etymological things, you get a lot of stuff. But faith is kind of what we think it is. It's it's believing. And it's it's in the face of not having the evidence necessarily, or when God speaks, uh, or there's a need that's presented, faith plays a role in there, seeing the outcome that you want. I think we all understand that. And belief is just the verb about doing that. Now, there's a word in the Old Testament. There's a bunch of words, as a matter of fact. Uh, but aman basically wraps around the idea in various uh, tenses. It wraps around the idea of to confirm, support, or uphold, to be faithful, to be certain, or to believe in. And one of the interesting things that I saw when I was looking at the Old Testament and the ideas of faith and belief is it's, it's a picturesque language, and it's more relational it's not so much an abstract thing. Like we have a tendency in the, in the Western world to think about it as an abstract. And the Greek language has a tendency to think about it as an abstract situation. Like the noun faith, you could have a definition to it and you could quote, understand faith without having it in our culture. Now, I don't think that's actually true because I think faith is relational. And I think we're going to see that in just a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, what you think faith is, that's what faith is. How you get faith, how we interact with faith, how it manifests in our life, we may need to rethink that. And that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping this will help us set up and Paul will help us experience as he talks about union. And that. So anyway, uh, here's one of the examples we looked at in the Old Testament. We're still in the review stage. Uh, and it shows how times change. Uh, theology has an influence over translation and over interpretive thought in Scripture. And so in the New American Standard, which is a relatively modern translation from you know back in the 90s is when they first got going strong, this is the first time that that word aman is used and the concept of faith is used in the Old Testament. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you, and your reward shall be very great. That's how it's translated in the New American Standard. Now, I like the New American Standard. I use it as the base for the study that I do. But uh, the, and the reason is because generally it handles tenses and it handles verbs and stuff better, but not all the time. Not all the time. Uh, here it is in the King James, and I want you to notice the difference. After these things, the word of the Lord came into Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And this is all after Abram went and rescued everybody from uh, the people that were kidnapped from Sodom and comes back and he has this thing and the Lord creates covenant with him and all this kind of stuff. Look at the difference. New American Standard, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. King James, I am thy shield. That's not that big a difference. It's just an archaic use of the word. And thy exceeding great reward. 
So the New American Standard says that your reward shall be great. The King James translates it, I will be your great reward. The relationship is definitely a part of that translation of King James. V shield. Yeah, very good. So it's a one, it's a relational situation. Now, that verse sets the stage for the questions we've been looking at. And so we've got a couple more of you, but the question is now not so much one of just whatever the particular is. It's a question of union and relationship versus transaction and reward. And unfortunately, one of the curses that we labor under in Western thinking is we have the ability to turn almost everything into a transaction. We can turn almost everything into a transaction. We can put it on a ledger sheet. We can ask somebody, do you have this? Do you not have this? Did you do this? Did you not do it? That's not a totally bad thing, okay? I mean, we do things. There are things, and we have things. But to turn relationships into transactions if you want a really like blunt illustration, since the kids are gone, that's what prostitution is. <laughs> and that's the way sometimes these things go when they are designed at their core to be relational. In the New Testament, we looked a lot at this last week. I'm just going to read these quick and then I'm going to show you the geeky thing I did last week for review. But um, so again, we have a, a comparison between how these things are translated in the New American Standard and the reason I'm picking that one is, is it's a classic translation, obviously done with a great heart toward God, done with great scholarship, but it's under the influence of contemporary theology. Theology that is much more transactional than it is relational. All right, so here we go. Paul's explaining some stuff. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, that's the American standard, and those I, I highlighted in for that reason. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on down in 20 says, And I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, while that verse in the New American Standard and all the other modern translations that translate that way, certainly speak to how good it is to believe in Jesus and have faith. Who is the active role centered on here? It's Paul, right? Or it's on us. Our faith. Faith in Christ. I have faith in Christ. The King James, and King James is not my favorite translation. There's a lot of stuff in there that I, I uh, look elsewhere to try to find stuff. But for whatever reason, they actually stuck close to the grammar in this. And it says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. So there's a play against one another. There is a faith that belongs to, comes from, that Jesus sources in one case. And that's the faith that Paul says he's living the life he lives in the flesh by. And I think it's interesting that he chose the word sarks and flesh instead of just saying, I live my life. Because flesh is like the enemy, right? I mean, we, we have a tendency, again, to, to super categorize that. What flesh means is the meat. Now, it also has implications of carnality and sinfulness, but Paul put those two together. And I don't think it was just Paul. I think the Holy Spirit stuck those two together 
So we would understand that the methodology to live successfully as exemplified by probably one of the most profound Christians that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, was to draw his everyday life in the flesh, overcoming everything that had to be overcome without within, on the faith of Jesus. Now, how do we live based on the faith of Jesus? Well, I can say I don't really know that well. It's much easier to postulate in my mind what it means to have faith in Jesus. I just have to believe, right? But again, it's a little bit like the thing with Abraham. Your reward's going to be very great, or I'm going to be your reward. You're going to have great faith, or I have faith, and you're going to use it. I'm going to give it to you. Now, we know for sure that Jesus was called the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews, right? So it, the Bible plainly says he's the one that, get, that is the author of faith. I mean, that, that can't mean anything but that. It also says that every man, God has given every man a measure of faith. So faith is a gift. It doesn't start with us. And in the same way as love, 1 John says, you love because I first loved you. In the same way that Jesus says, uh, my joy I give to you. And, you know, not like the world gives. So, so things that belong to Jesus, that are a part of his spiritual constitution and constituency, they come to us. And of course, if Jesus gives you something, then you have it, right? So it's not like I can't say I have faith. That's not, that's, I'm not trying to make that point. I'm trying to make the point that this says something, perhaps. And so, Here's how I geeked out last time. So this is a lexicon uh, that I have that has... Uh, so, so I've got some printed ones, but this is the one that I use a lot online. All right. And so the first line is the, the Greek in, in the spelling, the way it is in a certain manuscript. I think this is... I don't remember which one this is, to tell you the truth. Uh, and, and that should let you know that I don't know that much about Greek. But it... I know how to use this stuff. So the next line is very important. The next line is the parts of speech of each of those words. So, uh, you know, that knowing is a verb, and then I don't actually know what that other stuff means. I haven't looked at it. Uh, over here, a man is a noun, masculine, singer, singular, uh, nominative. And then there's a preposition there, P, and that preposition is genitive. And that's the first thing I want to show you, and we talked about it last week, because... This concept of of, you're going to see it here, doesn't come from a, a preposition word of. It comes from the genitive case in these word agreements between the preposition and the noun and, and the other in the verb. So here's a couple examples. And this is, this is 16. Uh, it's the same word we were just looking at. The ones that are circled there right now, you can see, if you look at those grammatical things, you have a preposition that's genitive. Uh, you have a noun that's genitive. You have another noun that's genitive. So that genitive, the G's in, the, in, in those things, connect those words and produce the genitive concept of, of, or from. Okay? And so, by works of the law is how that's translated. Does that make sense? So that's where the, there's three instances of that. It wouldn't make sense to go by works in the law. That would mean like the law was doing works, right? This is something where the, the, the works come from 
They're out. They're of the law. Okay. Now, here is the same grammatical construction. You can see it by the faith of Jesus, by the faith of Christ. You see it there? They're genitive in agreement. That's why the King James, and that's why translations that, that, that's why I would, I'm surprised New American Standard didn't, because they usually take this kind of stuff seriously. But the pressure of the theology and the theological questions that raise the thought, it doesn't make sense that it's Jesus' faith. I'm the one that's supposed to have faith. That's the whole core of evangelical Christianity. You have to have faith. Well, I'm not saying we don't have faith, but I'm saying we get that faith from Jesus in ways that we don't understand. In ways that we don't understand. So, those two instances are why the uh, New American Standard, I mean, why the King James translated that faith of Christ. And it's why I'm advocating to you that that concept is something that you need permission to believe. Even if you have, if all it does is give you the opportunity to ask questions about, well, how in the world does his faith get into my problem? How does his faith get into my sickness? How does his faith get into the need that I'm confronted with? How does his faith get into my prayers? The problem is that we've never asked that question because most of us assume that we're just supposed to have faith and most of us do our best to have faith and we cover up and live like hypocrites when we don't. And everybody around you is in the same boat, so nobody really calls anybody out unless you get somebody who actually has somebody gets healed two or three times in a row, and then all of a sudden they're the great man or woman of God, and then they, you know, whatever. This is a significant thing that the Bible is saying. Now, Paul's not an idiot. He knows how to write. And, all right, so anyway. Now, Here's one, and we contrasted that against the, the, the genitive case against the accusative. And the accusative goes like this, but you notice there's a word there for in. Ain't. It should be ain, right? But it's not. It's ace. So that little yellow thing there is what we're going to study about tonight. And so it's continued geekiness for just a minute. Can you see it up there? Yeah, it's better over there. All right, anyway. So... Here's the deal. Which one is more accurate? And can we, is there, by what basis can I even say that? Because I'm like the pastor and you have to believe me? No. Because that genitive thing is real all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. And that second verse is there. Except, okay, so the genitive case sources things. It sources what it refers to. So it's the faith of Jesus. Okay? And again, you don't have to believe me just because I am harping on it. I even have some weird geeky things here that might help. Anyway, now this though is problematic because there's, there is a word in Greek that means in. And we saw it. It's right there. It's, it's it, uh, well, we saw it a minute ago. Back up. That word, ace, does not mean in. Ace means into. Into. All right, so don't take my word for it. We'll look into it here in just a second. So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to compare the difference between ace and in as it relates to faith and belief. 
And that's going to set us up, if if this makes sense, it's going to set us up to have a, a framework or a place to put this concept of the faith of Jesus and the gift of faith. And of course, you know, like faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's one of the... Okay, so... So here's the word ace. Uh, it's strong number 1519. It's a preposition, and it governs the accused with the primary idea of motion into any place or thing, also motion or direction to or toward or upon any place or thing. And the antithesis, the opposite of the concept of ace, is the preposition 1537, ek. An ek, which means out of. Now, in both those cases, Matthew 3.17 and John 12.28, it's, it's instances where the Father spoke from heaven, right? And, and the way the Bible writes it, it says, and a voice came out of heaven. That's what ek means, out of, out of. And it, it's, it's used all over the place when somebody comes out of the temple or somebody comes out of whatever. That's what that means. So, this is all this stuff is from the word study dictionary. I like it because they, I think, they make their explanations simple enough sort of understand. And so here is the preposition aim, 1722 in Strong's. It governs the dative, but a different way. Remember, ace governs it with the idea of motion into a place or thing. This governs the dative in, on, at, by any place or thing with the primary idea of rest, as compared to ace, which means into or unto, and ek, which means out of or from. And this is what I helped me understand wherein ain fits in this. It stands, ain, it stands between the two. Ace implies motion into. Okay, so I'm going to go into the chair. And ek is motion out of. But if you start the description, Larry is sitting in the chair. That's what aim does. So the story tells, aim tells that I'm in something in a static way or a restful way or beside it or, you know, whatever. But it's not talking about the motion out of or the motion that got me in there. Now, Ace, okay, first of all, does that make some sense? And, you, and, and, and here's the part that drives me nuts when translations are, they take a lot of liberties. Because there really are words that mean these basic things. Now, I'm not saying that you can't, and, you know, the big argument is, oh, but context, context is everything. No, context makes a difference, but it, it's, it, it doesn't take away the fundamental meaning of the word you're using. And, there's an incredible amount of liberty that we have to take to just ignore basics of grammar like this. However rudimentarily, I even understand them. Okay? So, let's go over it one more time. Ace is into. Ek is out from. And uh, ain is the static position that you either went into or got out of. Ain is in. Okay? All right. Now we're just going to look at a few verses. John 6, 28 and 29 was the first place I encountered the concept 
of ACE. I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was probably 10 years ago, maybe 11. I'm reading it, and because I really take the Bible seriously, even though I don't like the way most people talk about inerrancy and all that kind of stuff, I believe that the Bible is, in fact, deeply and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit. But even the doctrine of infallibility and inerrancy, the doctrines that emerged out of the Reformation and out of other theologies, they only talk about the original language. Nobody's dumb enough to think that everybody that wants to just throw together a translation of the Bible has got the same degree of inspiration that the apostles had when they were receiving revelation to write it down. Now, nobody thinks that. But a lot of people transfer their allegiance to the inspiration and the plenal plenal verbal inspiration and the inerrancy. They translate it to the translation they like. And why do they like the translation? They like it mostly because it agrees with their theology. That's why I like most of the translations I read. But a long time ago, for whatever reason, I got enamored with the fact that the Bible probably really says something in its original language. I don't know it well enough, so I have to borrow the scholarship of the guys that put those grammar marks on there. I have to borrow the scholarship of the people that verified the manuscripts and the Westcott Horts and the uh, all Tichendorf and all that kind of stuff. But I started reading this one day in that interlineal kind of way. In fact, it was an interlineal just like the one you've got, Dan. And I go, huh. That's not the word in. That's not the word in. That's a different word. I didn't know what it was at the time. So I got out my handy concordance and my lexicon, and then I whipped up my thing on the computer, and I found out this thing I just showed you between ace and ek and ain. Ace means into. So I thought, now, there was something that provoked me too. How many of you have read either the New American Standard or other Bibles that italicize words or somehow designate that they're not in the original manuscript? Uh, when you read the notes in the New American Standard Bible, it says these uh, italicized words represent words added for clarity. Personally, the more I study, the less I find that they make it clear. But I understand what they do. They limit the options so that it makes sense according to some reason. And unfortunately, usually that reason is already a presumption of a theological position or, or an interpretive position. Okay? So, if you've ever read, and, and if you've been here long, you have seen me read it some, Young's Literal, you know it's not easy, and it's not always clear, because he doesn't try to do that. I found a new uh, another Bible called the Bible in Basic English, which actually treats these things fairly honestly, in my opinion. And I haven't read it enough to know, you know, universally how it does it, but it's worth looking into. It's called Bible in Basic English. You can get it online. Anyway, the way this should be translated, if the word ace is translated the way it is most of its 1774 times in the New Testament, is it should be translated in not in, it should be translated into or unto or something along those lines. Or even to would be better. All right? But the fundamental meaning of that, as you saw in the definition, is motion into a thing. So they ask, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God 
that you believe into him who he sent. Into him who he sent. Okay. Now that sounds weird. Dave, do you believe into Jesus? <laughs> See, it sounds weird. You don't know how to answer it, right? Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. But if we think relationally and not transactionally, because if I ask, do you believe in Jesus? Most people don't go, well, let's see. Let me review the last 30 minutes. Did any challenge come to me that caused my belief in Jesus to manifest? And did I, is he the first thing I thought about? Is he, you know, no. You go, oh yeah. Then maybe if you have a minute to think about it, you remember when you said sinner's prayer, whatever the case is. That's transactional. That's the transactional tendency that we all have to think. But the relational tendency is the one that if we translated this into, no matter how awkward it sounds, you'd have to think about it almost every time you read this verse. This is the work of God that you believe into. Now, when you go into something or someone, that's cool because you're at a place you weren't, right? You're in them or in that place or in the thing. So if, if, if I was to say, I'm going to go to the pool, where would I be going? To the pool, right? What would I be doing? Maybe sitting in a cabana, lawn chair. I'd be on the way to the pool. Yeah. With the, with the idea of, if I was gonna, if I said, I'm gonna go get in to the pool, then that's getting a little more specific. And if somebody said to you, hey, Larry's in the pool, in would be the appropriate word, right? You'd know I, I wasn't sitting in a chair on the side. I was in the water. So these words make a difference. Now, when we're talking about relationship, which is what faith is, especially if we live our lives like the Apostle Paul did on the basis of the faith of Jesus, meaning that he has it and we need it, and therefore we're going into it. But what this says to me is, is pretty cool. And I started thinking about it, and I was willing to put up with the awkwardness of the English. Okay, believing into Jesus, that means that there is a process to me in this role of believing in Jesus. I am stepping into something. I'm coming out, ooh, like out of darkness into the light that he is. I'm coming out of lostness into the foundness that he is. So I know it's a little awkward, but that's the advantage to that. Okay, so anyway, that was when it first was introduced to me years ago. Now, this is a pretty famous set of verses. And this will prove to you that I don't just, I'm not just prejudiced against aim. This is pretty cool. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That's not ace. That's in. And then Jesus goes on to reinforce that. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you 
After a little while, the world no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And then one of our favorite verses around here, in that day, Ain, you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. So what, why did I put that up here if I'm trying to study Ace? Well, because Ain's not bad. It has something amazing about it. Jesus, in that day, that's a, that's a firmness. That doesn't mean that this is an ever-elusive day. It means that when the Holy Spirit does something that he talked about there after being poured out and all this kind of stuff, we find ourselves not moving toward a day. We find ourselves firmly stuck in a day. And it is a day in which we will know something. We will know that Jesus is in his Father. Let me ask you a question. When was Jesus ever involved in a process to get into his Father? The answer is never for all eternity. He has always been one in union in his Father. Now, he took our stuff, and the thought may have come to you, probably did. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? That was him identifying from the place of alienation and darkness that Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1. That you're, you're alienated, hostile in mind, and engaged in evil deeds. Yes, we're out there. But in that same set of verses, Paul lays out why he believed in the gospel ministry and how he understood it to be, and he called it the mystery which has been hidden. This is in Colossians chapter 2, toward the end of the chapter. The mystery which has been hidden from ages past, but has now been revealed to the church, and that is Christ ain you. Not a process. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here, Jesus said, in that day you'll know that I am in ain my Father, your ain in me, I'm in you. Or the other way around. No, that's what it was. Now that, we should go, yeah! There is a quality that Jesus secured on the cross when he dragged all to himself in John 11 and 12 where he's talking about that. There is a secure, there is a place for you and I in him that is not questioned. We question it all the time because we make it conditional on our actions, our behavior at a given point in time or our faith. There's other things, but in, like we stand in grace, aim. Yes, Ronnie. Since we have this second scripture, the one on the bottom, 14, huh? and it talks about what I'm going to call a fact that Jesus, okay. that Jesus is in me. As opposed to process or as opposed to? No, as opposed to not being in me. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, that's simple but difficult all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's a change for me from what I believed in the past. Correct. I believe he's in me. Mm -hmm. And some of you know that. Mm -hmm. And I believe he's in all of you, too. Mm -hmm. So if we take the fact that he's in me, and then we look at the scripture above it, it says that you believe into him, it could be a form of, or could it be a form of like stepping into the understanding or belief that he's really in me? I think that has something to do with it. I think it's probably broader than that. 
In other words, I think there are probably domains of authority that, that Jesus has fully covered that we are not fully in. Because look down here. It says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father. None of us in this room have disputed that for a long time, probably. You and me, we've made that conditional. And me and you, I don't know what we really think about that. I, I, don't, I don't know lots of Christians who actually have a working way to think about God himself living in them. And I'm, I'm not trying to say you don't. I'm just saying that in my experience, when I talk to people, when the rubber meets the road, God is still out there someplace to be approached in prayer or through repentance or fasting or something along those lines. Uh, I think we believe it positionally, but... Uh, but if we focus or embrace the idea that God is in me, mm-hmm. then the stuff of this is the work of God that you believe into him. Right is a way almost to say, okay, the God that's in me, I'm going to step in yeah, to Yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's much more akin to an awareness or awakening. Or interacting with it. Or interacting or with it. Engaging. Or, or just engaging with it somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, I if, think so if I, I don't know if this is all the time that you have issues with ACE. Is that how you pronounce it? ACE? ACE? No, I have a couple more verses. Okay. Do they deal with believing ACE or believing in? Uh, a lot of them do. For those of you that are super geeky, I have eight pages of ace and in in association with peace, peace, and pisteo. So and the only person that has to take it is Jason because he is the one who encouraged me to do it. <laughs> so with with the words believe in, in believe in him and the, using the word ace as the source of the word in. I was thinking through okay that you actively engage in your belief in him is kind of a wordy okay. way of if saying if it works for you if okay. it works for you that's that's good that's good i don't know i i don't i don't really know here's here's just a quick little set of numbers there are 1745 times that the word ace the preposition ace is used in the new testament 138 of them are translated in the majority of that 138 are in association with faith or belief faith in god faith in spirit Faith in this, faith in that, the majority. I haven't got the exact number down, but I've got close. It's, it's like maybe a hundred and something of that 138. And, and that tells me that it's not context. It's theology that makes us translate that word in that particular case as in when it can, in fact, be translated into. Yes, Dan. Uh, first, here's a geometrical way of. Oh, here, I'll take a look at it. Okay. The words. I don't know if that's quite correct, but see what you think. Yeah, that's it exactly. That's it. That's it exactly. Uh huh. The other thing I think why this is difficult is just sitting there realizing when we use the word "I have faith in Jesus." Uh huh. I think what we're really saying in our mindset and our culture is, "I have faith on Jesus." There's something about Him that I have faith, but it's not a an in like we're talking about in the Greek here. So, yep. Oh, sorry, wrong way. Uh, forget that. That's bad. That, that's the rear of the arrow. <laughs> and the arrow goes like that. That's ace. And then ek is that one. 
And in, you've got this in like this, but I would say in is more like a kind of a at rest type situation. So, but, but that's, yeah, that's really good. And that's just the way prepositions work, you know, over, above, beside, all this kind of stuff. Okay. So let's get on a couple other verses here. Galatians 2.16 is the one we just looked at. So there's no word for of that's done by the genitive case, but there are words for in or unto or into and, and, and other words too, like para and various other things. So that in should be ace. I don't know why, you know, it's difficult. It, because in does not convey moving into something, the sense of movement. And I think that's the source of frustration for a lot of people's discipleship because, my gosh, I've been a Christian for six months. And I'm, I, you know, well, do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Or I've been a Christian six years. Or I've been a Christian 47 years. I think that's about what I've been. Pretty close. Maybe more. But I'm still, I still feel like I'm, like there's a target here that I haven't fully apprehended. And when I pray for the sick, or when I pray for other people's needs that need miraculous, Jesus said some stuff like, uh, if you believe in me, you'll do greater works than I do. Guess what that word is? That's ace. That's not some static transaction that you can go back and verify because you've got a thing. Pretty sure. I could look it up. I should have before I spoke about it. Actually, I did. I've looked at all that stuff up. Matter of fact, I've got it right in here. So anyway, even we have believed into Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. This ace is important. It puts us somewhere journeying into this thing embracing it, being embraced by it. It's very, very important, I think. I think it's very important. Here's the last one. This is John 3.16. Yes, John 3.16 and the, the, the following verses. Why did God send his son? Well, he sent it so we could believe in Jesus. No, he sent him so we could believe into Jesus. Now, Ronnie, you talked about the fact that you've come to believe that Jesus is in everybody. Kind of like Paul does, right? Paul says, <laughs> this is the mystery which has been hidden from ages. Christ in you, talking about the Gentiles, the target of his ministry, the hope of glory. Before they said the sinner prayer, before they were circumcised to become like Jews, before any of that kind of stuff happened. Now, the reason people push back against that and call it universalism and a bunch of weird things like that is because we think that our salvation is built around the transaction of whether we believed or not. But our salvation, the Bible is pretty clear about that. It's not built around a transaction. It's built around being in relationship with Jesus. He endures till the end to be saved. I'm not trying to make us nervous about it. The in part, the in, ain part, is already taken care of. That's what Jesus died to, to get done on the cross. That's what he did during the resurrection. We're going to 
testify to that tonight with your daughter. In. We joined him in. But now we're on a journey in two. Yes? It seems to me that this word into uh-huh. is implying union. Uh huh. Okay. Actually, in is implying union too. The into implies the process that we're engaged in, in the union. We're still moving into it. It's not a, a single point target. Go. Yeah, just understanding the process. I'm running this with my mind, and, and it sounded strange at first to say you're into Jesus, but you know, the, the world even has a terminology. Oh, yeah. Like, uh-huh. He's not into you, or she's not into you. Yeah. They understand that, right? That right. just means they're That's not interested, true. right? And then you use the, the uh, example of the pool. And that was kind of fascinating because you said, I'm going to the pool. Well, you might go to Jesus in prayer, mm-hmm. right? And then you're saying, I'm going into the pool. Well, it's the process of getting to know him in that personal way, like you're getting ready to go into the pool. Mm-hmm. And then you have the experience of going into the pool and all the joy of being in the pool and swimming like we did. Plus one of the, the big differences is you're wet. Yeah. <laughs> because Which, the nature of the pool... Yeah, it, it's on you now. Yeah, be wet with all of his love right. because, I mean, that's what it's all about. Right. I, I wish people wouldn't have a problem if they do with saying that Jesus is in them and he's in and we're in him Yeah. because, I mean, what's better? I mean, what what is our faith all about if we don't want right. to believe that the Savior's inside of us I know. and I we're know. inside of him? And he's in it. So uh, anyway... All of these words in the end. So, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes into Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into... Now, it says that. It translates it as into there, right? Because it doesn't make sense to put in there. Into the world to judge the world. Because our theology says that Jesus came, right? The incarnation, all this kind of stuff. So, we're willing to translate it there, but we don't translate it the same way. Now, this is... These words are all written next to one another in a thing called a sentence and a paragraph. And, and, and the guy writing them, John, is recording what Jesus said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know whether Jesus was speaking Aramaic or speaking Hebrew, or he probably wasn't speaking Koine Greek, but okay. But John was writing in Koine Greek under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to convey what Jesus said to Nicodemus. And what Jesus said to Nicodemus was this concept. Whoever believes into me, into him, this is why he gave his son, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That use of into for ace doesn't threaten us. Oh yeah, of course. He came into the world. He came into his own. His own received him not. You know, okay, I got it. He who believes into him is not judged. Now, all of a sudden, the stakes go way up on what this means. Because it's not okay just for me to sit passively and let my mind be believing and and make that whole in thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't believe in Jesus. There's times in, in reality there. But this is saying into it produces a relationship. He who believes into him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed into, and here it talks about, the name. Into the name. So this is kind of a big deal. Now, 
believing into the name is probably not exactly the same thing as tacking it on at the end of a prayer. Being into that name means having that name as your focus when you're approaching something. Now, I'm way over my pay grade now because I don't know how to live this way either. But the main reason that I've been a Christian for 40, 52 years. Yeah, I didn't realize. I just did the math. The main reason that I've been a Christian for 52 years and I still don't know what the heck I'm doing is because I was told all along that all I had to do was believe in Jesus. And I did that 52 years ago. But my whole life has been driven by the desire and I can see in your eyes that yours is too. I want to be in this thing. I want to be with. That's what Jesus promised, right? Go into all the world, make disciples. And lo, I'll be with you always. In, together, in relationship. Now, Paul's going to come and he's going to talk about the, this transitional journey in his life from praying in faith to praying from union. And, and that faith that comes out of that union. Jesus has faith. And he apparently is willing to share it with you and I. We should take him up on the offer. That's really the whole thing. Okay. For those of you that are kind of geeky, uh, I'm going to put these right here. Jason, you get one. So what, what's on here is I found in the, the Blue Letter Bible, which is a great tool. I'm learning to use it a lot better. So these highlighted things represent uh, certain uses, like uh, the green, uh, the yellow is when it when aim or when ace is translated as in, the blue is when it's translated a different way, uh, the red is when it's translated as into, and there's one set of them that are associated with the word pistis, and there's one set of them with pisteo, belief, faith and belief. So anyway. Uh, it, it could make for uh, interesting reading if you're strange. <laughs> but they're just Bible references. You can look it up and see yourself. All right. So what's the point? I think I already made, made it the best I can. The point is, you and I are Christians because of the resource that Jesus, the Son of God, is. Not because of something we've done in relationship to him alone. And there are a number of things we've done. We've listened. We've obeyed. We've prayed. We've done all kinds of stuff. But we are a part of the God, the triune family of God because Jesus came down here, embraced us and pulled us into there. And he brought with him his father, his spirit, his faith, his joy. His life. You know, Paul says, describing Jesus, that he alone has life and immortality. Now, we don't believe that. We believe that we have life, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad, and it's fundamentally independent of Jesus. But it's just, there's an opportunity for us to change the way we think and let the Bible speak. So, I encourage you to do so. You guys are awesome. Yes, Greg. I uh, really appreciate the things on in and on and that sort of thing. I've 
I'm hoping that somewhere in this talk about faith, either you or Paul can address a, a prepositional issue I'm having in Romans 12.3. Uh-huh. I looked it up in the translations. There is only one translation that says the measure of faith, and it is the King James. Uh-huh. BBE, Yoda, none of them. They all say a measure of faith. Uh-huh. Only King James. I looked all down the list. I have like 20 different. In my, and so when I looked up in Greek, it is the but I have incredibly limited Greek yeah, knowledge, yeah. but that's the word the. Yeah. And I was wondering if you've encountered anything regarding that, or why does only the King James, none of the others, literal standard, uh, Young's little, none of them do it. Yeah. I say A measure. Uh, partly it's because, okay, so you're talking, you're not talking about a preposition there. You're talking about an article or a direct article. Yeah, yeah that adds it. And so... Uh, there are implied direct articles, and and there don't, and I don't have enough knowledge to articulate it right now. But uh, anyway, okay. Got a question, Dave? Yeah, or right. Okay. Did you say the point was? The point the point is Jesus has offered His faith to us, and and we are we we are in Him, as it said in John fourteen twenty, and He is in us. But there's still a journey. We're ready, Jen. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, so quickly. I think some of the things that we do ordinarily in our Christianity, like when we worship, we do this a lot. We mm-hmm. praise and we worship. And, you know, Timothy, mm-hmm. uh, Paul in his letter right. to I Timothy, wish you he talks prayed. about lifting up holy hands. Yeah. Without, uh, one of the things that helps me to understand the union that I have with Daddy is when I'm worshiping him, not to do like this, but to do like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's right here. He's in me. And sometimes when I talk to a person and I, I, I tell them, hey, you want, you want to give daddy a hug? Well, do this. Because he's in you. Yep. See, and, and, and I think this is great. And I, I mean, I know a little bit about the journey Dave's been on. And... And it's good. It's fantastic, you know. I just want us to be thinking this way. I don't have all the answers. I don't think there's a flip. I've been a switch. You can just flip and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, now I get it. I don't think that's that's really what, what the point is. So uh, I want I want you guys to, to really be, <laughs> how's it look? Yeah, good, huh? I, I, I want you guys to be uh, open to the fact that there's, to even have to ask us to do this is kind of weird in a statement about the church. I want us to be open that there's more resource, more power, more, more supernatural stuff available that, than we can muster with our own determination. Jesus is working with us and in us. I used to, think in was such a powerful place for him to be that being with me was dumb until I realized, no, being with me is really good too because that means that anything that comes at me has got to come through him first. It means any place I'm going, he gets there before I do. Even just a little bit. And that makes a big difference. So, all right.